Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. So for the last few weeks, we have been going over dialogue, in particular, the 10 major principles that should be present in your dialogue in order for that dialogue to be any good. Now we're going to transition into tools. What are some great tricks of the trade? What are some great tools that you can put in your toolkit and pull out at just the right time when you need to spice up your dialogue or when you need to improve it because it's just not working the way it is? So I want to say at the get-go that not every tool that I'm going to give you over the next couple of weeks is going to resonate with you. And not every tool is going to be useful every single time in every single way. Not every tool is for everybody. Nevertheless, I still want you to have that tool because you never know. You never know if there will be a time and place when one of the tools we talked about here is really going to make all the difference in the story that you're writing. So I'm going to give you the tools anyway. You can decide whether or not to use them, but if you don't have them in your toolkit, you don't even have that option. So these are some of my favorite tools, favorite tricks that I use when I'm writing dialogue and I want to pass them on to you. You'll pick the ones that are your favorites, your go-to ones. No matter what, I promise you, even if you only choose three of the 10, it will take your writing to another level. And I think you'll probably choose more than just three. So to that end, The first tool we're going to tackle today is a little complicated, but really fun. And it's called the transactional analysis. Now the transactional analysis is based on four psychological games that people play. This is truly a book in psychology that discusses how people relate to each other. And according to the transactional analysis, There are basically only three roles that any person plays at any given time. We're always playing one of these three roles. Role number one, we might be the parent. Role number two, the adult. And role number three, the child. So who is the parent role? Well, we all know this person, right? And and it doesn't matter. By the way, you could be five years old and be playing the parent. We've seen this when little girls play house with each other. How many bossy little girls have you ever met? They're playing the parent. The parent is the superior or responsible one. They're the one that's in charge. They're the disciplinarian, the teacher, the judge. They tell you when you're wrong. They act superior to you because they have superior knowledge and power. They're definitely the authoritarian. They are the boss. So playing the parent role is something that we have all done. We do it now. We did it when we were little kids. This is not age dependent. It is a role that we play. But another role that we play is that of the adult. Now, the adult is rational, objective. The adult sees clearly. The adult communicates clearly. The adult is the mediator, right? They're the ones that are just logical and reasonable and the ones that you want on your side when things are getting heated because they're very even killed. They don't lose their temper. They don't get emotional. They keep things logical and reasonable. Think Spock, right? The child 
is another role, however, that we play. And the child is irrational, emotional. The child is vulnerable. The child is demanding. The child wants what it wants when it wants it. The child is unpredictable. The child is spontaneous, full of life, but also explosive. You never know what's going to happen. The child is another role that we have played even as adults. Okay, so what does this have to do with anything? Well, the point of this is that if we understand that at any given time, we as people or our characters as people would play one of those particular roles. Well, now we have a tool that we can use to really spice up a scene. Because what you can do then is figure out what role your characters are going to play in that scene. And then you can have fun with it. You can put twists on it. You can really milk it for everything it's worth. Let me give you an example. There's a film called Lover Come Back starring Rock Hudson and Rock Hudson plays an advertising executive who is basically a child in the sense that he takes his clients out and gets them drunk, shows them a good time, gives them girls. And this is how he lands all his accounts. And not only does he land his accounts this way, but this is also how he steals other people's accounts. So at the very beginning of the film, Two of the adult characters go to the boss, who's presented as the parent. He's the one that's in charge. He's the boss. And they say, hey, you need to rein this rock guy in. He has just stolen our clients by taking them out on the town. It's unprofessional. It looks bad for the firm. You need to deal with him. He is out of control. And the boss says, you know what? You're right. I've let this go on long enough. And by God, it's time to rein the guy in. So the boss grabs his cane and starts marching out of the office. And we just know that Rock Hudson is in deep doo-doo because the boss is on his way to his house. Now it turns out, of course, Rock Hudson isn't even in work that day because he has a hangover and he's still in bed. So when the boss shows up at his apartment and demands that the doorman let him into the building... The boss finds Rock Hudson still in bed asleep. And the boss starts lecturing him. Are you kidding me? I can't believe you. Look at you. What kind of life are you leading? This is unacceptable behavior. You are making my firm look bad. I can't let you even continue in a job if you're going to behave like this. Are you even listening to me? And he points his cane at Rock Hudson, who's still laying in the bed. And all of a sudden, Rock Hudson rolls over, grabs the boss's cane, breaks it in half, tosses it aside, and rolls back over to sleep. And in that very moment, the boss's posture completely changes and he says, Oh, come on, that was my lucky cane. Why did you have to break that? Well, what just happened? Well, what they did is they switched roles in the middle of the scene. There was a power shift and it's funny. So what you want to do is think about what role each character plays, have them play it and communicate accordingly, but then there might be opportunities to switch in the middle of a scene and it adds immediate interest and depth to whatever the story is. And by the way, this is not unnatural. 
This is actually very natural and it's something that occurs frequently in real life. Consider if you've ever been married. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're in the kitchen with your spouse, you're doing dishes, and guess what? It's adult to adult. You're having a reasonable, rational conversation about something that matters to you both, but then someone says something and the other person gets a little tense and their voice rises. And the next thing you know, the other person is like, you know, I need you to calm down. And boy, don't ever tell a woman to calm down because as soon as you say calm down, she does just the opposite. And the next thing you know, it becomes parent to child. So they start out adult to adult and the next thing you know, it's parent to child. Let me give you another example of how this might work. Let's look at the odd couple. This is exactly the structure that the odd couple uses. Felix is usually the parent. He's the OCD one. Oscar is the child, the wild child. However, they take turns being a certain role depending on the situation and what's at stake. Who has the most experience? Who has the most knowledge? Who has the most authority on a particular topic? And so they take turns being the parent or the child depending on the situation and what's at stake. You want to let them switch roles in the middle of the scene if it's appropriate. This structure opens up the possibility of what your characters say and how they say it. But notice you first have to understand what role they enter the scene with because they need to act in accordance with that role. And one of the ways that you do that is you have to understand what the character thinks their status is in connection with the other person in the scene, which is exactly how it works in real life. Okay, what do I mean? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you decide you need to ask your boss for a raise. Well, who has the status? Your boss, who has the power? Your boss, your boss is the parent in that situation. Now you go in there hoping that you're an adult, that you're laying out a reasonable case, a reasonable argument, but let's say that your boss says something condescending to you. The next thing you know, you might find yourself switching into the child role, which is not going to likely get you your raise. Now let's say, however, you have a teenage daughter and she comes to you and says, Daddy, I need more money for my allowance. So she's the one asking for the raise. Well, now who has the status? Now who's in charge? Well, hopefully it's the dad. I suppose there are cases where it might be that the daughter has daddy wrapped around her little finger, but in most cases it's going to be the dad. And so the way the father speaks is going to be different in that situation than it would be when he was approaching his boss, even though in a way, it's a very similar dynamic, a very similar transaction taking place. Here's actually a really great example of this, the film The Fugitive. We have Tommy Lee Jones who shows up at a train wreck where Harrison Ford has escaped as a fugitive. And Tommy Lee Jones is walking around with his team. It clearly is not his first rodeo. We understand immediately that this guy is in charge. He's got status. He's got authority. We understand it by the way the others view him and talk about him and listen to him and take orders from him. However, who is temporarily in charge is somebody named Sheriff Rollins. 
And as Tommy Lee Jones and his team glide on over to where Sheriff Rollins is talking into the camera lights, they listen while Sheriff Rollins continues his interview. And as soon as Sheriff Rollins has wrapped up a sentence, Tommy Lee Jones says, excuse me, Sheriff Rollins. And Sheriff Rollins cuts him off, raises a finger and says, I'll be with you in just a minute. And Tommy Lee Jones says, okay. Now right here, notice that Sheriff Rollins responds like this because he is under the mistaken impression that he is in charge. Now he's a person who likes to lord his authority over people, whereas Tommy Lee Jones doesn't. He's actually in charge because he's just darn good at it. He doesn't even need to be in charge. Sheriff Rollins, on the other hand, is all about looking important. Nevertheless, Tommy Lee Jones is patient. He waits. Sheriff Rollins asks one more question of the guy that he's interviewing. And Tommy Lee Jones finally speaks up again and says, with all due respect, Sheriff Rollins, I would like to suggest roadblocks up here on I-90 and over here. And Sheriff Rollins once again cuts him off and says, whoa, 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 whoa. All that's going to do is cause angst to the good folks in this neighborhood and flood my office with calls. And at this point, Tommy Lee Jones has had enough, and he says, Well, shoot, Sheriff. I'd hate to see that happen, so I guess I'll take over your investigation. And now, Sheriff Rollins is all blustered, and he's like, Well, under what authority? Oh, under the authority of the state of Louisiana, 4th District, blah, 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 whatever that technical language is. Now, this is a great scene because it clearly shows how characters will behave according to what they think their status is. And then when they realize what their status really is, they will change and play a different role. It's a brilliant example of this. So I hope that you'll be able to use that moving forward. Now, again, the transactional analysis is not going to be something that you use every single day. It's not something that I use every single day or every single story even. But once in a while, there's a scene where something just isn't working. And when I look at it, I'll go, this character is kind of playing the parent. Or this character is kind of playing a child huh, I wonder what would happen if I actually took it further, if I milked it for everything it was worth. And then all of a sudden, it brings out new dynamics. It opens up the possibility of what my characters say and how they can say it. Now, some of the other tools that we'll be talking about starting next week might be more everyday tools. This one, maybe not, but it's still a great tool to use when you need it. So if you do ever use it, I would love to know. Drop me a line or better yet, go to the new website, www.thestorytellersmission.com. We do have a button on the page that will allow you to click on it and you can leave us a voicemail message and you can just kind of see what's going on with our website because eventually I'm hoping that this will be a wonderful resource for you moving forward. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.